Welcome to the Farm Talks podcast, an audio edition of Farm Talk newspaper, your four-state ag news source. Farm Talk News has proudly been serving the four-state area with quality ag content since 1974. Listen in for 100% agriculture, 100% of the time. Tune in today with your host. Happy New Year and welcome to episode four of the Farm Talks podcast. I'm your host, Emily Zaronis, Associate Editor of Farm Talk News. If you're new to our channel, make sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. We are less than 50 days out from the 2023 Western Farm Show in Kansas City, scheduled for February 24 through 26 at the American Royal Complex. Stay tuned with Farm Talks podcast for upcoming information in the beginning of February. Each month, we hear from local producers in a different segment of agriculture about the challenges and strategies our listeners care about. To start off the new year right, we have invited owner of Shop Kansas Farms, Rick McNary, to chat about rural development and the benefits of buying and selling direct to consumer. Thanks for joining me today, Rick. So let's just get started with you telling me a little bit about yourself and all about Shop Kansas Farms. Thanks for having me on your podcast, Emily. I appreciate it. So my name is Rick McNary, and I live in the little town of Potman, Kansas. Uh, I'm in a native Kansan. I grew up in the country, but I did not grow up on a farm. I was the kid they hired in the summer back in my day at three cents a bale to buck bales, but that was about my experience with agriculture. I have spent the last 20 years involved in international hunger relief and development. So my interest in farmers and agriculture and people who feed the world came out of understanding just how important they were. As a a man in Columbia, South America, (laughs) told me as he pointed to the farmers on the hills who we had sent food down and relief, he said, you know, without them, we die. So that began my interest in exploration and understanding farmers. Tell me a little bit about your experience with International Hunger Relief. How long did you do it? What were some of the hallmarks of the program and such? So I was a minister for 20 years. And uh, then about 20 years ago, I went on my first mission trip. Took a bunch of people down to Central America, to uh, Nicaragua. And while I was there, a little girl crawled up in my lap and whispered in my ear, feed me, I'm starving. And I had never experienced that type of hunger and a child or anyone in that type of poverty and it just became a, a pivotal point in my life where I sat down on the ground and cried and said okay as I was holding this beautiful filthy beautifully filthy little girl who had the distended tummy and the, the messed up hair from the auburn red hair from malnutrition and yet gorgeous and hungry and I decided to do whatever I could for the rest of my life to feed hungry people and so that launched me into that I soon after left being a pastor and just involved myself in taking mission trips. And along the way, I started an organization to engage volunteers in their called meal packaging events. And so I've been doing that for a number of years, just engaging volunteers in packaging meals that whether they stay here in America or go internationally help with the hungry. But uh, along the way, I also got involved in advocacy. I served on the board of the Alliance to Hunger in D.C. and and started their advocacy committee. I've done a lot of work with writing and speaking about the issue of hunger and just doing all I could to engage people. But along the way, as I said, I learned that 
if I'm going to really be in the fight against hunger, I need to support farmers and ranchers and people who grow the feed wheat. Absolutely, and that's wonderful. And I see that you do that with Shop Kansas Farm. So expand a little bit into that. Tell us a little bit about what Shop Kansas Farm is and what your role is in the program. When the pandemic hit, my wife and I had just finished dinner one evening in April of 2020 of beef we had for the first time ever bought from a local ranch couple. We had never done that before. And we had the beef at dinner for dinner that night. It was just fantastic. It was from the KCK Farms down in Anthony. And we met Craig and Katie and their young family and just loved the meat. And my wife and I were talking about watching a movie that evening. And she said, grocery store meat counter was empty that day. And I'd seen that on the news, but you know, I'd never seen that in my life in Kansas. And I thought, well, that's kind of odd. And I had been trying to figure out ways to connect, you know, friends that I knew with the farmers that I knew that sold direct to consumer, you know, beef, pork, or whatever else it was they raised. So I grabbed my laptop and started a Facebook group called Shop Kansas Farms. And I've got enough marketing and sales background to know you. Name it what you want people to do. Make it a, an active, a call to action. So, you know, Shop Kansas Farms was born that night, April 28th of 2020. And I invited a few of my farming friends that I knew to post what they had for sale on there. And then I invited a few of my friends that I knew were, you know, looking to buy. Made it a public group. And initially there was one rule, because you had to have a rule to start a Facebook group. And my rule was... I learned from my kindergarten teacher that's a, my niece that's a kindergarten teacher. It's be kind and share. And if you don't, you'll end up in time out. <laughs> so pretty simple rule. And uh, I started at around seven o'clock one evening and I checked back at 10 o'clock and there were already 400 members. By the next evening, there were 5,000 members. And within a week, there were 50,000 members. And we're right at about 160,000 members now. And it just took off like a rocket. What it really is at its core is something I had seen a need for for a long time with food security, and that is a, a digital hub to a local and regional food system. So food system is comprised of production, processing, and distribution, those three things. We have a wonderful global food system. It was obviously, you know, the, the, the processing and the distribution components were interrupted during the pandemic. And so we saw that exposure to that weakness. And I've been studying food systems for the better part of a decade after a conversation at an agricultural meeting where I was going to try to learn about farmers. And there was a guy there named Kurt Kastner. Dr. Kastner was the director of the food science program at Kansas State University. And he was explaining to me that local and regional food systems were of great interest to people in food security because they were afraid at that time, that was back in 2011, of terroristic threats to our global food supply. And that a local system would be a great resilient mechanism. I mean, it wouldn't ever replace the great, wonderful, large one, but... You know, in time of crisis, it would be a really good thing, but it also had capacity to help farmers do direct consumer sales and create different revenue streams for them and also help people get access truly to local food from their own farms. And so I've been involved in food systems work and understanding that for about part of a decade and had seen a need for a digital connector, a digital connector to that hub. And so the third day into Shop Kansas Farms, I realized I had created it. 
because if you look at Shop Kansas Farms, the Facebook group, it really is a hub that connects producers, people who grow plants and animals, to the processor, you know, the meat lockers or the value-added canners or whatever. And then, of course, the distribution channels. And that might be, you know, mailing things to the post office, UPS, FedEx, door drop, you know, the doing, you know, deliveries. So all of those things. So Shop Kansas Farms, I often say when I talk to people, it's it took off overnight, but it was the result of 20 years of experience. You know, just my desire to connect people to farmers and help build that out. I I didn't realize it would take off like it did, but was, of course, just thrilled that it did. Absolutely. And with that kind of growth, actually very much surprised me that this only started in 2020. Looked like this could have very much been around for for a decade or longer. So definitely a need for that in for rural Kansans. And speaking of that, can you talk about maybe some of the challenges that rural business owners are facing right now and how communities can be an integral part of that local success? Absolutely. So if you think about the food system, basics of production, processing, and distribution. So people who are excellent at growing things in communities around the state, the challenge they have if they grow animals or if they grow plants is once that plant or animal has reached a point where it's ready to be harvested, where do they process it? Whether it's a plant, an animal, you know, are there meat lockers available? Are they close? Are they, are they full? Because they've been kind of on the decline until the pandemic hit. And, and now meat lockers, from what I understand with several of them, are filled up clear through 2023 and booking into 2024 now. So the real challenge for farmers who wanted to sell direct to consumers is having any kind of a capacity to process their animals. And so if a rural communities really want to get back into helping their farmers do this, then thinking about processing plants in their counties or in a region is really critical. And there's also, there are mobile meat processing plants that are being built out in Kiowa, Colorado by a former Kansas farmer that are, you know, he's just slammed full now because it's that processing component. And then with vegetables, it's the same thing. So you grow vegetables. If you think about it, if you're going to grow buy vegetables in Kansas, you have about a four-month window max, and that's during the summer when they're grown, and you buy them in a farmer's market. Now, there might be some people who have greenhouses or high tunnels or perhaps, you know, other ways to extend their season a little bit, but, you know, here it is December the 15th. It's 32 degrees outside. I don't know where I can go buy local vegetables because there's no capacity for cold storage. So if you grow a vegetable, you have to get it into the consumer's hands, usually just within a couple of days. And then there's also no ability to process those vegetables in a way that they could become shelf-stable and then that shelf-stable food having a national market. So, for example, if you want to take your tomatoes that you've grown and you've got Uncle Buck's salsa recipe that is to die for, you have to have a certified processing facility in order to do that. Now, once you do it, you then have a national market for that because it's shelf-stable. You can ship it anywhere. 
So that processing component of vegetables being able to have cold storage to lengthen their life or to have the uh, ability for them to create value-added products like salsas or mustards. Now, you can do jams and jellies in your home under the KDA laws. It's called cottage laws. But if it's anything that has uh, like pickles or anything like that, you have to have a facility. And that's the missing component. So rural communities. And in fact, that's what I'm focusing on in my future endeavors is helping communities figure out how to solve these problems by putting in processing plants, whether it's for vegetables or for animals, and also building in distribution systems. Again, building a local food system is a way that the communities can actually, especially in rural areas, help create prosperity. So, so for example, if there was a people growing beef in the farthest reaches of Kansas where there are no lockers near, but if they had a locker and they could get that locker to where it was USDA certified that they could sell roasts and steaks and individual cuts, then suddenly they have a national market. And there are, there are farmers in Kansas who have figured this out, and they ship stuff all over the nation. In fact, some of them even shifted internationally. They figured it out. But for rural communities to help their farmers to be prosperous, they have to figure out ways to solve this processing dilemma. The farmers will also figure out the distribution model. They'll figure that out. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> will come alongside them. But it's, that, it's that, that processing in the middle that's missing. For sure. And for our listeners, we will be talking about processing in the upcoming months and some of the challenges in that area and how communities can be involved in those issues as well. For you, Rick, I want to start moving into trends. I definitely think that the way that Shop Kansas Farms has blown up just in the last two years, it's definitely a big trend. Do you think this is a trend among young people, direct to consumer, to favor? rural produce and communities? You don't think that? Do you think it will transition this way? How can we keep up this momentum that we've gained? That's a great question. And it was actually one that I stared at the screen every day for the first several weeks and seeing the explosive growth in Shop Kansas Farms. And I asked myself that every day. How do I keep this alive? Especially after assuming at the time the pandemic would end and our country would open back up. And I had farmers asking me the same thing. How can we ensure this grows and continues to grow after the pandemic is mitigated to some degree and people open back up? And I believe that answer comes in two different ways. For us, it's one of the reasons that I shop Kansas Farms connects consumers to the farmers in a way that they've never been able to do before. And so keeping that connection alive then, I needed a website with a searchable map and a directory. And we were at people asking for that. As you know, Google and Facebook don't play well together. Of course, Google's the map king of the world. And then Facebook is the social media stuff, but they don't intersect. So we had to create a website. And that's when I, my wife and I formed an LLC. We invested our own money. We hired a website developer. So you can go to our website, shopkansasfarms.com, and there's a map on there. And there's about 1,200 farms now that are listed that sell direct to consumers. And just remember, that map was not in existence two and a half years ago. It was not there. So uh, to me, that was my commitment to this saying, okay, this is one way we can make sure it stays. And also that 
made it something separate than the social media platform. That if the social media platform ever decided we couldn't do that anymore, or if Facebook decided to... So recently, for example, you know, Facebook went down for several hours one day. It's been several months ago. Our website traffic went nuts because we've been training people. You don't have to go to the Facebook group to find the farmers. Just go to the website. Go on that map. Look, you'll find them near you. It's got categories. No, it's not perfect, and that's part of what we're doing, overhauling it right now as we speak to make sure it's even better. So now that the consumers found the farmers, how we make sure that it's easier for the consumers to find the farmers. Now, they can Google, but often if they Google, you know, local, which, by the way, and I'm sure you know this, that uh, searching SEOs for local or buy local or shopping local during the pandemic and since has is one of the top searches. So that is an indication that, you know, people are they're ready to look local. They're ready to buy local. They like the value. They like the food. They like the, the connection. So the first thing was to for the sustainability part, I believed we had to treat it like a business and put a, a map and a directory in there so consumers could find it. The other part for the farmer's part, as I encourage them, you have to learn to do customer relations because this now is all about building a relationship. The continuation of this for you will be how well you build your relationship with your consumers right now, with your customers. And, you know, some farms don't want to mess with that. They don't want to mess with consumers. And that's fine. I get it. You know, they want to take a truckload of cattle to a place or the truckload of grain and dump it and, you know, get a check for whoever determines what their stuff is worth. And they're fine with that. That's great. <laughs> Not, you know, we need them. Uh, but there are others that are like, yeah, they really like meeting the public and they really like that interaction. And it was really funny, and kind of to prove my point with that, there were several farmers who, from the very beginning, were doing exceptionally well. I mean, I was getting all kinds of messages like, you know, this saved our farm. We thought we were going to be in the red this year, and now we're in the black, and we've got all these customers. And then pretty soon I saw they were not advertising on the Facebook group, and I reached out to them, and I said, um, you okay? <laughs> I see you're not here anymore. And they're like, oh, we've got so many customers now, we don't need to. And until we're ready to, you know, really ramp up and market it, we don't, you know, we don't need to switch. Reassure to me that, you know, people are interested. And if you think about it, in the grocery store, really, we've been trained to buy a story. If you look at the packaging on a product, you will see whatever farm it comes from. There's, I mean, it's all about being sold a story, as I've concurred farmers, you now have a chance to one-on-one -on -one tell your story with customers. So if you build great customer relationship, and of course, that involves a quality product, but it also involves, you know, follow-up phone calls and little notes and little, because that's actually how we got it with our beef is somebody just out of the blue, this young, sweet couple and Anthony that I'd met at a Farm Bureau thing, sent me a Christmas card and I looked them up and went, hey, I can buy some beef from them. And so it was that personal connection. So keeping those personal connections. Everything we do is built on the farmer's capacity to intersect with the consumer and then the consumer's ability to find the farms close to them easily and to make these transactions as easy as possible.
For sure. And I really enjoyed the part where you talked about we have been trained to sell a story. And we definitely do that amongst each other uh, in rapport and locally. And we started off this conversation with your story of internationally. So do you feel like this has been an outlet for you to tell your international story and maybe help Kansans get involved both federally and internationally for food security? Yes. <laughs> uh, I speak to groups a lot, and if anybody's listening and wants a speaker, please let me know. I love speaking to all kinds of groups, but as I, in my opening remarks, I make it abundantly clear that I'm not a farmer, but I learned to fall in love with farmers because I understood in 20 years of working with international food security all over the world that literally without farmers, we die. <laughs> and I learned that lesson in Colombia, South America. We had sent a million meals down to help with farmers who had lost their crops because of torrential flooding. And I went down later to inspect it again. And we tumbled out of the Andes into this ancient Spanish village of Pacora. And they were giving us a parade at Thursday afternoon at 2 o'clock. And so we were walking down these cobblestone streets with bougainvillea draping over the sides of the adobe homes and the mayor pointed to the hills where the farmers were and he said you know without them we die and it really hit me that if i'm going to be involved in international hunger i need to understand and i need to support the local farmer the best that i can and so that gives me opportunity to say in fact this week i actually wrote a thing about supporting small families of small family farms, and that comes from my experience working internationally. Small family farms are actually, the technical designation for them are small holder. There are 590 small holder farms in the world, and they currently produce about 30% of the food we eat. And most people who work in international agricultural and humanitarian and relief and development say we've got to help the smallholder farmer do better. And that comes through giving them a new market because, in essence, from the business side of things, from the farmers, that's what Shop Kansas Farms did for the farmers. It gave them a new market. It gave them people. It gave them new customers. It gave them a new way to market their stuff to people who they hadn't been able to reach. So market development is a huge part of that. And I learned that actually <laughs> in Central America. I was helping a, in, in Nicaragua. We were back in the mountainous village. And, and I asked the people, what can I do to help you make a living? And the women were like, we'd love to have a sewing center. We'd love to sew clothes and have for our kids and maybe make money. And, and so and there was no electricity and we cleaned out this barn that had livestock in it and I bought 10 treadle sewing machines bought them in Managua and we brought them in there and I brought in a school teacher and, and I told them they made these beautiful little aprons I said I'll, I'll be back down in four weeks and I'll buy every apron you can make and I came back four weeks later and they had made 800 aprons and I was like I did not expect more than 100. Wow, what am I going to do with it? So if anybody's listening, they want to buy an apron, I have one I can sell. <laughs> but the point was, I made them, I created a market for them. You know, and I've had I've taken a lot of Americans down before and they're like, oh, you know, these people are lazy and they don't want to work. And it's like, oh, they want to work. They just, there's no market. We've got to find them a market. And I found them a market. And that's what we did with Shop Kansas Farms Farmers. We found them a market. And so building that, that market aspect is the way that uh, we help them. But it all has to do with 
helping the small family farms and those who want to do the direct-to-consumer sales. And that really comes from my international experience. Wow, absolutely. That's really incredible to hear about just the sheer amount of aprons that came out in a four-week period (laughs) is a great indicator of, of that work. And so... Is there anything maybe that you want to talk about, about where we go from here? What do you see in the future of rural commerce maybe that you haven't talked about yet? There has been a tremendous amount of conversation about food systems and local food systems for the last 12 years, and that increased exponentially with the pandemic. And there is also, because of that, all sorts of money being thrown at it from government agencies, international agencies, foundations, groups like how do we solve this food system thing? A food system is, of course, incredibly complex, but I'm a simple person and I don't understand complexity. I keep going back to, especially in rural Kansas, that there is a potential for a practical, physical food system meaning that I can pull into a county and drive around and I can see who's producing and I can also see, oh, they have this little processing plant or this commercial kitchen over there and it's got cold storage or they've got this meat locker. And and then I see, you know, this branded product going around that's from that county or from that region and people are, you know, got community pride and, you know, that come from our farm, that came from our farmers. I'm actually working on that with Rice County, right in the middle of the state, the city alliance. I started working with them. We had our first extravaganza there. And I said, oh, you know, we can do that, but I want to have these conversations. And so now, so they're talking about bringing in vertical farms and growing leafy greens. Their one school's already transformed a, a school that had shut down a couple of years ago, but the city of Bushton had bought it. And so they're redoing their kitchen because it's a school kitchen. It's a commercial kitchen. All it needed was a new paint job. And they're going to build, you know, little pop-up stands. And they're, you know, getting money to build, upgrade their wastewater system so they can put in a meat locker plant. So they're putting in these physical systems. And to me, those physical, practical food systems that involve production and processing. And Emily, in my opinion, in 10 years of this of work in this, that's what's missing. And, and for me, when people start talking about food systems, my first question is all, so are you building a processing plant? Doesn't have to be a huge one. It could be a commercial kitchen. You know, are, are you building some way that people can take their product and turn it into shelf-stable, even if it's cold and refrigerated, so that then they have then a different market as opposed to, oh, gee, I've got to get this into the consumer's plate by two days or I'm toast. So I see regional food systems as keys to rural prosperity. I sing that song to anybody that listen to me, but it also has to be done in the context. I mean, let me rephrase that. The opportunity to do that in the context of community development and community engagement so I actually wrote a model for this back in 2011 and won a National Innovation Award in D.C. for it. So, you know, it's, I've been thinking about this stuff for a long time. So I'm working Rice County through this model, and it is heavily involved in economic prosperity as well as community engagement. And, you know, Emily, what better unifier of humanity is there than food? 
For you sure. know, a, a good cookout, you know, the, the tailgating at a football game or, a, a, you know, a big spread at the county fair or, you know, and then the church or in the county. Or somebody has a big barbecue. That brings everybody together. And they're not talking politics. And they're not talking religion. They're talking football or they're, t- they're talking food. They're talking about the, the good things in their community. So the model that I'm working on, and I believe it has potential, is also a community engagement model. So there's one really important thing that for people who are out who are listening to this that are involved in agriculture and for those who are not involved in agriculture is this the agricultural community understands community better than anybody else in the world that's my opinion but i believe it's been borne out because they understand that community is based on survival and not on convenience. For many of us, we base community on convenience. We hang around the people we like, think like us, look like us, talk like us. But true community is based on survival. And I don't think anybody gets that better than the agricultural community. And I actually learned that in a, in a refugee camp near the Somalia border several years ago. I, I will watch these people who were starving, literally starving. They'd come into this camp and they'd be given food and they'd immediately share with their family and their friends. I was like, wow. I can't even get my kids to share pizza on Sunday, you know. Uh, How is this happening? And they had a phrase that said, today it's me and tomorrow it's you. Meaning, I'll share with you today because I might need you to reciprocate with me tomorrow when I don't have any. And so it's community then based on survival. And I believe the agricultural community, and I think a lot of them don't even realize they know this. They have this baked into them that they get it. And it's only in the context of communities that we solve any of our problems. For sure. And in that spirit of community and building each other up, you really talk consistently about processing and how that is a big issue going forward to be able to market direct to consumer. But what's some of that extra advice that you would give small producers who maybe don't have as much initial success as the example you gave earlier of the guy who didn't have to post on on the Facebook group anymore because he had so many new customers from being involved. What advice would you give to those starting out and getting involved in direct-to-consumer? Tell your story. Learn to tell your story because that's what people are. They're buying a product from you, but they want to buy you in your story. They're interested in your farm, in your family, in how things are raised. They want to know. If you can tell your story through spoken, written, visual, videos, And it doesn't have to be an elaborate thing. Just let people know who you are because that's what they want on top of a great product is they want to know you. And for those who are just starting, you know, look at who your customers, have you reached back out to them? Have you sent a thank you note? Have you sent them some sweet little gift that had very little cost to you, but was letting them know, hey, you know, I really appreciate you. Thank you. Because that's how you build repeat customers is by that customer relationship. And so for those who are just starting, you know, we're actually going to be offering seminars, business training seminars that are being taught by people who have been successful. I love entrepreneurs. Our model of teaching people in seminars, we've done a little bit of this already with a couple of things we've done. We're going to be expanding that. But learning from people who do it for a living and make a living at it as opposed to somebody who teaches it for a theory is entirely different. You know, they can reach out to me too. It's Rick at Shop Kansas Farms. They can find me pretty easily and say, you know, do you know somebody that can mentor me? Somebody that can help me do this. 
I know who the good ones are. And we're identifying them and we're actually helping them build out programs to train others. Because there's nobody that can teach business better than the person who lays in bed at three o'clock in the morning wondering if their business is going to survive. Thank you for that advice. And so to capitalize on that, I want to transition a little bit into women in agriculture because that is obviously a very trending topic in the modern world. So let's talk about Shop Kansas Farms. Is that a great outlet and community for this uh, historically underserved audience? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, I learned about the importance of women in agriculture on an international level. We would take food and relief things into rural areas. It didn't matter whether it was Africa or Central America, wherever. Somebody was, you know, had been hit by something terrible that had happened, a natural disaster. And it was always the women in line to get whatever we were handing out. And the men just kind of hung out at the back. And so I started understanding and and talking to them and people who invested in international development. So in the hunger space, there are always two issues, relief, give a person a fish, and then development, which is teach a person to fish. You know, you got to have both. And what I was focused on earlier was relief. And I started understanding and development that, and this is scientifically proven, they've done a lot of research, the best investment is in women. Because in a lot of cultures, guys just aren't, good at hanging around and staying with the family and taking care of the family. You know, they're off doing their own little thing. And the best investment in a community and especially in agriculture. And I also learned in traveling all over the world, I got picture after picture and it's women and their children and they're standing out in the field hoeing. Very few men are involved. And so investment in women. And I think also women have historically proven to be fantastic managers of taking care of the family, and they get that understanding of, especially on an international level, you know, they want to get their kids in school. They want to get their kids to go to uh, become doctors and lawyers. And so, you know, they're really cautious about what they do with that investment. And, of course, in America, you know, I think think women make great storytellers. I think they're better than guys at, and I don't mean to be sexist, and that might have come across that way, but I think women are fantastic storytellers because they can bring the the qualities to a story that people will buy into with emotion. And I think there's a huge difference between a story that is only facts. And, you know, frankly, as I listen to a lot of the farmers and ranchers and people who are telling stories, it's about facts. It's about things that, you know, for me as a consumer, I have no idea what they're talking about. But there's just something different when women are engaged in the messaging and engaged in the marketing, that it has a, a much more emotive quality. And that's an opinion. <laughs> but it's one that I've watched play out time and time again on Shop Kansas Farms. When I look at who's doing it the best, it's often the women on the farm that have taken over the, the marketing aspect of it. And they're the ones telling the story. Yeah, and that definitely comes back to what we've talked about for the duration of this show, which is about telling a story. And so we talked about the future, and I do know that Shop Kansas Farms has moved under the direction of the Kansas Farm Bureau. Can you talk about that transition and what things will look like moving forward? Absolutely. So when I started to invest in the website and all, my wife and I decided to make Shop Kansas Farms an LLC because I believe at the end of the day, I've been involved in hunger issues for 20 years, the best way to end hunger is to have a good job. And often 
the business development component of the food security issue is lacking. It's often about, you know, grant money and, and, and money, you know, handed out as opposed to if we can help people make a good living, then that ends hunger. And I know that's not a silver bullet to salute solving everything, but it's also a missing part of the conversation. So we decided to set it up as an LLC. Uh, I just turned 62. And as I look forward to the, the vision that I have based on 20 years experience in food security for what Shop Kansas Farms is and what is the capacity to be, I, I know that if you have a vision, that you have to have people and resources to make that vision activated. I had the vision. I didn't really have the resources or the people around me. I mean, I had some great volunteers at Kansas Farm Bureau from the very beginning, Megan Kramer and Nancy Brown. And see, I've been writing about farmers for the Kansas Farm Bureau for about eight years, just as an outsider looking in. So I had friendships with these people and Terry Holdren, the CEO, and Rich Feltz, the, the outgoing president, and uh, Joe Newland, the incoming president. So I had a relationship with these people. I thought, man, it just makes sense. There's the people right there. And they have a lot more resources at their disposal than I do when it comes to both people and, and contacts. And So I went to them. My wife and I sat down with Terry and Megan. And Megan's the director of marketing and communications, a dear friend. And this a brilliant woman. And, and I said, are you guys interested in buying this? And they were surprised because I realized it was a matter of, you know, one of the things I've learned from farmers is sustainability. You know, they think, and how is this going to last for the next two or three or four or five generations? You know as well as anybody, Emily. You talk to a farmer within the first few minutes, they'll tell you where they are in the family succession. I'm a first generation or second generation, <laughs> third, fourth, fifth. And so they identify themselves. And so that means they're thinking sustainability from the very beginning. And so for me, it's like, so what happens to me if... I go away. As one a guy I used to work with, he'd say, what happens to you if you get run over by a truck? And I was like, well, I haven't protected the sustainable future of Shop Kansas Farms, and I can't do it as a one-man operation. It made sense for me to invite people that I love dearly and respect immensely to see if they were interested in buying it. And they were like, yeah, we are uh, very interested, but we don't, we're not interested unless you can hang around for at least five years. Will you be a consultant for us for five years? Like, man, that is just, that is a wish come true. Yeah, I was hoping you'd do that, but it didn't come with that contingency. Yeah, of course I want to be a part of this. Uh, it's just such a huge part of what I've been working on for, you know, 20 years. So, yes, I want to be a part of it. So that means they, what they were interested in buying for Shop Kansas Farm, of course, you can't buy a Facebook group, but... We have a website that we've sunk significant amount of money into. There are more than 1,200 farms listed on that website. Now, they're, they bought the website and all those rights, and they can build those out. And that's what we're working on with them is a better website to help bring more people to shop Kansas farms. The other component was we started something in Lyons, Kansas, earlier this year, extravaganza in a market of farms. Because consumers were just reaching out to me and saying, we want to meet these people. We Can you set them up someplace where we can go by? So the city of Lyons, were, they reached out to me. And several communities did, but I really like being rural, being in the middle of the state. And, and I said, yeah, sure, let's try it. And so they gave us the Celebration Arena, which is just a wonderful space for that. We had 42 farms come in from all over the state. Some of them drove two and a half hours and set up their booths. And on March the 5th, Earlier this year in, in Lyons, Kansas, more than 1,400 people arrived 
And as the farmers, many of them sold out, said they came to buy, not to browse. And so that market of farms, and again, it's different than a farmer's market because we don't do crafts and we don't do arts and things like that. God bless the people who do, but it's just about food. But we have you know, 158,000 <laughs> consumers who are paying attention. And so as the city of Lyons, the people told us we knew they weren't from Lyons because they parked in the parking lot wrong. We parked north and south and they were parking east and west. Building out on that and having those market of farms in other areas because the farmers, it's all about for the farmers, it's all about having an audience of consumers and we bring that to them. And for the consumers, they want to go a place and meet all these wonderful farmers that they've been seeing on the Facebook group. So that's the other component. And then the third part is these regional food systems, which have been a passion of mine. They're like, yeah, we like that. We like it, especially in our rural communities. And so like what I'm working on in Rice County, we're rolling out a model or, you know, just the capacity for us to be able to scale that up and to go to really any area in the state that wants to seriously talk about putting in a physical, practical food system and make that happen. So that's what I'll be working on. Wow. It sounds like we have a great future ahead for Shop Kansas Farms. And so I really appreciate you joining us today on the Farm Talks podcast. Is there anything else you'd like to add or tell to our listeners? So I'm assuming there's two different audiences perhaps listening into this as we deal with every day with Shop Kansas Farms. One is the farmers. And so for those of you who are in farming and ranching and growing food for people to sell, we would encourage you to think as you listen to me talk that behind me stands 158,000 consumers who want to buy things from you. So there's a whole bunch of consumers and they're wanting you to figure out how to get their stuff and your stuff into their hands. And we're going to help you do that. That's part of what I'm working on is helping you do that even better. If you are a consumer listening in and you're not familiar with our website and map, jump on it, jump on the Facebook group. And my greatest desire for you is, one, that you would learn to buy from a local farm near you or somewhere in Kansas, and that along the way, you would also fall in love with them as I have, because I've been writing about them for eight years, and I'm, I'm smitten. They're the most wonderful people in the world. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. Thanks for joining us this new year for the January edition of the Farm Talks podcast. Join us next month as we prepare for the 2023 Western Farm Show in Kansas City, February 24th through 26th. Find your Farm Talk newspaper wherever you go, in your mailbox, at a newsstand, or online at farmtalknews.com. We'll see you next month.